This is an exciting time of year for us. We're launching our new season of ministry around here. A lot of things going on that we would love for you to be a part of. When you walk into any room and there's more than about 200 or 250 people, you have to get really deliberate about connecting. And the great thing that I'm excited about is today at Lake Hills Church, there is something for everyone. And we would love to have you be a part of what God is doing here beyond just Sunday morning. Now, Speaking of Sunday morning, last weekend as a church family, we started a series of messages called Life on Tap. Now, if you're new and this is your first Sunday, I encourage you to go back. You might have walked in like, whoa, what Life on Tap? And they got wine barrels up on the, I don't know, it's church. Go back and check out last weekend's message where we kind of explain where this whole series came from. But I want to begin today by making just a very simple declarative sentence, statement. The statement is this. Life on tap flows out of spirit and truth. Life on tap flows out of spirit and truth. That's a very, very important statement that we're going to come back to throughout this time here together this morning. Recently, our son Joseph, who is a senior in high school, came home from school one day beaming, just grinning from ear to ear. He walked into the kitchen where Julie and I were, my wife, and he said and announced, I learned how to do a backflip. You want to see? Now, his mother never skipped a beat, and she said, no, you don't have a spotter. We're not doing that. Next year, you'll be in college. You could get hurt doing that. No. I looked at him and said, I've got my phone. Let's go video this. And so we walked out into the backyard, and it looked a little something like this. You all right? Yes, sir. <laughs> now, let me say this very quickly. Let me say this. Two things. Number one, number one, actually three things. Number one. I have clearance to show this. He said it was okay. Matter of fact, he's hoping that we put it on YouTube and it goes viral. Second of all, no Richard children were permanently damaged in the making of this video. Joseph is completely fine. As a matter of fact, he's so fine. Let's watch it one more time. Just say, before we watch it, hold on. Before we watch it, I want you to listen for the noise that expels out of his lungs when he hits the ground. It's hysterical. Watch this. You all right? Yes, sir. That's my boy. Now, can I tell you something? I love, I love that that's Joseph's heart. He, man, that, he just will take, you talk about give it a shot. That boy will flat out give it a shot. Now, in all fairness to Joseph, he has done that. He has completed the backflip and done it. He just didn't do it in that particular moment. And it cost him a little bit. I think you would all agree with me as you watch that. That's still one of the funniest. We cannot quit watching that at our household. Like I'll hear Julie, his mother, in another room. She's like, and I know what she's doing. But I'm sorry. I distracted myself with that. Anyway. I think you'll agree, in this moment, Joseph had the spirit of the backflip, 
but he did not have the truth of the backflip. It's one thing to have it in our spirit and to have an attitude and a desire that's within us, but it's entirely another to live that desire out, to, to make it a reality. You know, you only have to be alive about 30 or 45 minutes to know what that feeling is like. As a matter of fact, in the book of Proverbs, the Bible says that a hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Isn't that the truth? A hope that we have within us, something that we hope to see happen and we want to see it and it's the desire of our heart and it just seems to always be just out of reach can make our heart sick over time. But a dream that's fulfilled, a God-given vision that becomes a reality, man, that's a tree of life. That's where the good stuff is happening. And it is exactly at this point that we pick up this life on tap conversation. It's a conversation that's rooted in a conversation Jesus had with the Samaritan woman at the well. It's recorded for us in the book of John chapter 4. And in this conversation with this Samaritan woman, Jesus absolutely shatters expectations and cultural stereotypes. First of all, the fact that Jesus, a Jew, was having a conversation with a Samaritan, even talking in open daylight, was unheard of in that day and age. And so Jesus just kind of cut through all of that clutter. Number two, the fact that a man would have a conversation with a woman, much less a woman that he was not married to, in that day and age was unheard of. And yet it was in that exact context that Jesus introduced this notion of life on tap. He said to this woman, any woman who drinks the water that I give will never thirst again. Jesus is saying that you will experience life on tap from him like nowhere else. Now, I have to tell you something. I'm taking this conversation deliberately out of order. I should be at part two of the conversation in part two of this sermon series. But today, which is part two of the series, I'm actually going to go to part three of the conversation. Next weekend, in part three of the series, we'll pick up part two of the conversation. And I'm doing that very deliberately because in part two, the woman at the well tries to kind of distract and deflect the conversation. But Jesus, as only Jesus can, cuts through the clutter of this woman's distraction and deflection. And to be sure, the Samaritan woman at the well had a lot of clutter in her life. But Jesus cut through that clutter to get to the very heart of the matter. In John chapter 4, Jesus says to this woman, he says, the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. Jesus said, Let, let's just kind of strip away all of the distractions. Let, let's, let's cut through the clutter and let's get to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter for not just the Samaritan woman, but the heart of the matter for you and me, 2,000 years later, is worship. Worship. Now, when I say the word worship, probably in our 21st century minds, we, we think exclusively of what happens on Sunday mornings in a worship service, in a church service. And that's a part of it. It is 
corporate worship. But the reality is that every single one of us worships every single day. By virtue of the fact that God created us in his image, he created us as worshiping beings. It's just kind of in us. And to know what you worship is to know what you build your life around. Now, for the Christ follower, we, we strive and we try to build our lives around Jesus, not around religion, not around some moral code exclusively, but around the person and the relational God who became human Jesus Christ. Now you may be here today or watching online and you're not yet a Christ follower and you're like, well, that's not me, but I promise you, you worship something. Your life is built around something. It may be success. It may be your own achievement. It may be money. It may be another person that you're looking to to bring you satisfaction and peace. Whatever you build your life around, that is what you worship. And Jesus says that God is looking for people who will worship him because worshiping God is the only object of worship that provides life on tap. There is nothing else that you can worship, no one else that you can worship that will provide life, that will bring satisfaction, what the Bible calls the life that is truly life. And that's what Jesus is bringing up here with this woman at the well, cutting through all of the clutter. And so in the time that we've got left, I want to just talk about worship. Worship in spirit and truth. And Jesus kind of does an incredible job in just these two sentences of really laying it out for us. What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? Number one, Jesus says here that worshiping in spirit and truth makes a choice. It makes a choice. You, you choose. What does he say to her? He says, the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. That this is, this is real. We're, we're not talking about how many angels can dance on the head of a pen and how many verses of Kumbaya do you know. We're saying right here, right now, this is what matters. Whom do you worship? Around whom or around what are you building your life? You have to make a choice. And a lot of times we don't make the choice just by default. We just put our lives on autopilot, cruise control, and just go. But Jesus calls us to make a choice. Choose. It's what he does with the woman at the well. He says, no, 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 let, let's don't talk about theory and angels on the head of a pen. Let, let's get down into the nitty and the gritty of where you are personally. Have you chosen to follow God? Have you chosen to live in relationship with him? Because when Jesus went to the cross, he died. Nobody can intelligently argue whether or not that happened. Even the most the most strident atheist among us has to at least acknowledge historically that Jesus actually lived on the earth and he actually died on a Roman cross. Now, the second part of the story is open for a little more discussion. And that is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He got up out of a grave to live again. Now, you can say, I don't believe in that. I don't think that really happened. That's fine. But the reality is this. 
the tomb is still empty. The grave where Jesus was laid in 30 AD remains an empty tomb. And those who walked closest with Jesus, the vast majority of whom were martyred for their faith, believed that it happened. They saw him after the resurrection and they went to their deaths proclaiming the reality of his appearance after his death on the cross. Now I got to tell you, just between you and me, if I'm trying to kind of, you know, send out a myth, if I'm trying to propagate some kind of a legend, I'll, I'll go to some links, but the second somebody says, we're going to kill you for stating this, I'm out. I'm like, you know what? I don't really know. But the vast majority of Jesus' closest followers were martyred and died proclaiming his resurrection. And the resurrection means that you have a choice to make. You can choose to accept him or reject him. But you have a choice to make because, as Jesus said, the time is now here. It's, it's real. And I think it's important to remember we don't all have unlimited time. Let me go back to Joseph in the backflip for just a second. When I was, while I was shooting that through my iPhone, videoing him making this flip, and if you'll look at this when we get it up on YouTube to send it viral, you'll be able to tell he's up high enough to, to, to complete the backflip. He is. But as I was watching it happen and unfold in front of my eyes, I could tell he ain't spinning fast enough. I could tell he was, he, as he started his, his backward tuck, I went, he's not going fast enough. He's not going to make it. This is not going to end pretty. <laughs> you see, when Joseph jumped, he didn't have enough urgency. He, he, he wasn't backflipping fast enough. I think a lot of times we think we've got unlimited time to flip the script of our lives. We've got unlimited time to flip and change directions and follow Christ, receive his forgiveness, not to perform a circus trick like my son in the backyard, but to receive the free gift of salvation. That's why grace is amazing. You can't earn it. It is a gift from God Almighty. And Jesus says there's a choice to be made. You have a choice. I have a choice. This woman at the well had a choice to be made because the time is now. It's here. It's a reality. So what do you do with it? He continues the conversation. He says that spirit and truth worship focuses on the one worshipped. Spirit and truth worship focuses on the one who is worshipped, not on the one who is worshipping. He says what? True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, there is some debate in theological scholarly circles about whether or not Jesus means worshiping in spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, or in the spirit of our hearts and our attitudes, little s. And I believe, after a lot of study and a lot of research, that Jesus was actually talking about our spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Now, to be sure, when we worship God, when we acknowledge his greatness, the Holy Spirit is there. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. But I believe that Jesus is talking here about our hearts 
and our minds, our attitudes as we approach an all-knowing and all-powerful and all-present and an all-loving God. To worship him in spirit and in truth. That our hearts and our minds reflect on his incredible greatness. How many of y'all, if you had a choice, let me ask you this question. If you had a choice between the mountains or the beach, the ocean, how many of you would choose the beach? Let me just see a show of hands. I'm a beach guy. That's not a, that's not a spiritual question. That's just kind of how we're wired up. How many of you are mountain people? You, you like to go to the mountains, especially in the summertime in Texas? I believe that there's something inside of us that is drawn to both mountains and beaches, some more to one than the other, but there's something inside of us that is drawn to, to the awesome grandeur of the ocean or, or of mountains. There's something inside of us that just goes, whoa. And I, I really believe there's something that feeds our souls when that happens. Like I said, I, I love the beach. I'm an ocean guy. I like sitting on the beach quietly, and just watching the waves just crash in. Just whoosh, 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 whoosh. You know, in the 930 service, we had three people get up and have to go to the bathroom right then. But <laughs> the ocean or the mountains reminds us of the majesty of God. There's something there that, that you kind of go, man, there's something bigger than me. There, there's something grander, more genuinely awesome in the strictest sense of the word. Awesome. You just go, wow. Whoa. You know, when you spend time in worship, only response is awe. When, when you consider the greatness of God, the incredible power of his creativity, of creation, the power of nature, the amazing engineering ingenuity of the human opposable thumb, you just go, wow. I mean, that, that is nuts. And God did it. And you just kind of stay back and go, wow. And I think about what God's done in my life. The ways that I've seen him provide. Love. Resources. Wisdom. Help. Healing. Food. People. The church. I just go, Whoa. Wow. G.K. Chesterton was a British philosopher of another century. And Chesterton said something that I believe wholeheartedly. A century ago, but I believe it is even more appropriate now. It was true then, it's true now, but it's more appropriate now. Chesterton said, we are perishing not for a want of wonders, but for a want of wonder. There are a lot of things that can distract us, and there are a lot of little shiny things that roll in front of our eyes. But to be still and to be awed 
by God is amazing. To be still and to make worship a priority, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week, to carve time out of your day. And Jesus actually addressed that very thing with this woman. He said that worshiping in spirit and in truth slows down to be found. He said the Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. God's looking for people like you and people like me who will worship him in spirit, our attitudes, our hearts, but also in truth, in reality. That we will live lives of worship. God's looking for that. But you know, a lot of times in my life, I miss moments of awe and wonder because I'm too busy. I'm too busy. And man, I'm a pastor. I'm busy for the Lord. But you know, sometimes I'm busy from the Lord. Sometimes I'm so, I get so wrapped up in the busyness, in the work, that I forget to just set everything down. Put that, put that cell phone away. And cell phones are great. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But even, even when it's on vibrate, it, bzz, bzz, it's like a gnat spiritually. I hate gnats. Mosquitoes are like, you can see mosquitoes and kill them, you're doing the Lord's work when that happens. But a gnat, you, you can't see a gnat or the no see on a summer night in Texas. <laughs> Drive me batty. Natty. I'm in, I'm out. Forget it. Good night. The cell phone is the gnat of modern life spiritually. I'm very busy. A lot of people need me. Do you know how many millennia human beings lived without cell phones and we survived? The cell phone works for us. I don't work for the cell phone. Boop. Pavlov's dogs. Ooh, a little, sli- little saliva coming out of the corner of my mouth. I got to check that. No, you don't. Turn it off. Put it face down. Psalm 46.10 is a passage of scripture that I encourage you, I invite you, I want to challenge you to memorize and to live. Psalm 46.10, the Bible says this. Be still. Tell your neighbor right now, be still. Be still still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. Be still. That's true privately. That's true collectively. When we gather together for worship on the weekends, man, To be still, to know that he is God, to to walk in expecting God to do something, to walk in knowing that we're a part of something bigger than ourselves. So you know what that means? That also means being on time to worship. Because this this is corporate worship. The word corporate doesn't mean a business. The word corporate means the body 
the body of Christ. We're a family. We're a team. So we sit down to the table of worship together. It means that we make it a priority. We get the kids situated because we're focusing on the one who is being worshipped, not the one who is worshipping. So I'm going to get my kids situated. If they cry when I'm leaving, that's okay. Babies cry. That's what they do. Watch Raising Arizona. It's a true story. <laughs> Babies cry, huh? That's what they do. They'll be fine. But you get them situated, and then you're in the service on time so as not to be a distraction to anybody else. Now, I know you don't, I, mean, I don't think about that kind of stuff, really. But when you, when you come in late, and you're like, oh, sorry, excuse me, sorry, excuse me, sorry, 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 excuse me, sorry. Is there a seat over there? Is there a seat over there? Praise the Lord. Is there a seat over there? <laughs> On time, we're not a distraction. We're focusing on the one who is worshipped, not on the ones who are worshipping. And at the end of the service, let's say that hypothetically, the pastor goes a little long. <laughs> hypothetically. And you're checking your watch, you're like, man, I got two issues right now. The Presbyterians are filling up lubies as we speak. <laughs> and kickoff is about to happen. And so you're kind of like, I'm sorry, I've got to go early. We've got a very important. I've got to go. I've got to go. And you're sneaking out. You're working. Sorry, 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 sorry. It's a massive distraction to the people around you. And again, I've done it. I know what I'm talking about. I know I'm not coming down on anybody. I'm not being mean or heavy-handed. But I'm trying to help us as a church family worship in spirit and in truth. Lift up a joyful noise to the Lord. You sing with everything that you've got, no matter how bad it is. Let it fly, baby. So you're not a person who raises your hands. That's fine. You are a person who raises your hands. Great. Some do, some don't. It's going to be in heaven. It's going to be all kinds. But we're worshiping together in spirit and in truth. And we're slowing down to be found because the Father is looking for people to worship him like that. And when a people worship in spirit and in truth, when a person worships in spirit and in truth, God shows up. He inhabits the praises of his people. His people are fortified because they're focusing on him and not themselves. When we worship, we worship the wellspring of life and we are given more life to go out and live for him. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to do something a little bit differently. I want to invite you in this moment to be still and know that he is God to be still and worship him, to focus on the character, the nature, the personality of God. 
And in this moment, to just let your heart stand in awe, in wonder, to say personally, to say collectively, we believe.
heads in a moment of prayer. This is what we believe. And in this moment, if you have never definitively declared, I believe, Jesus in you, Jesus, I will follow you, then as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to do exactly that right now. In this moment of prayer, just to pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of commitment, a prayer of beginning. If that's you, then I invite you to pray silently right where you are. Something like this. Just say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me, that you rose again. And Jesus, as I believe, I choose to receive forgiveness of my sins from you. I confess my sin, all of it. And I accept your forgiveness. And Jesus, in this moment, I give you my life once and for all to follow you with everything I've got in spirit and in truth. I pray this prayer, Jesus, in your name. If you will, just remain in a spirit of prayer for another moment with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. But if that was your prayer and you meant it for the first time in your life, this is the most important moment in your life. And I want to invite you, I want to encourage you to mark this moment, to know that it's real that God did that, that you responded to his grace initiative. So if that was your prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just another moment, I want to ask you if you would just raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment as you mark this moment. This is the greatest moment of your life. So for each of you with your hands up in this moment, I want you to know this is real, this matters. And I want you to know also that as a church, we celebrate that. We want to be a family of faith around you to help, to encourage. And by the way, we need you. We are helped, we are encouraged by you. So, as you put your hands down, we like to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome.